with me? Acts chapter 2. Oh, my, now my technology's going all wacky on me. Acts chapter 2. Verse 1 says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, in the New Living Translation, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. New King James Version says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one accord in one place. We've been talking the last few weeks about the difference between being a convert and being a disciple. Um, when we go back to Jesus' final instructions before he was taken up into heaven, he gave what we call the Great Commission. And in the Great Commission, Jesus said this. He said in Matthew 28, Go into all the world and make disciples. Go into all the world and make disciples. At no point did Jesus give reference to going to all the world and get a convert. You know, a notch on the back of your door because you've got someone to say a sinner's prayer. Uh, therefore, they're going into, into heaven. Jesus said we need to go into all the world and the task of the church is to make disciples. Those two words, make disciples, they're very powerful words when you put them together. Number one, make. When you make something, how many of you know making something is a process? Yep. You don't just click your fingers and abracadabra, there it is. If, if my, my kids have done woodwork at school and uh, when they do woodwork, they, they take weeks and months and they'll get uh, an old rubbishy piece of timber that... that in itself just looks like it's useless and they'll craft it and they'll sand it and they'll cut it and they'll shape it and they'll put it together and they'll join it with other bits of timber and then all of a sudden they'll bring home a coffee table or they'll bring home a, a dining room table or they'll bring home a chair or whatever uh, it might be. Um, my dad, I've shared a few times with you, my father, uh, one of his favourite pastimes when I was a child was he would love to go to the rubbish dump and we had an old Kingswood uh, wagon and uh, back in the days when you didn't have to put seatbelts on and all that stuff, and, and we would go down to the rubbish tip. We lived out west New South Wales in a little country town called Baradine at the time. And actually it was even smaller than Baradine. It was a little place called Guryanawa Valley. I think it had two houses in the whole place. And uh, my dad was, was watching over a, a property there, and we lived on a property there. And we would go to the tip. I used to love it. I still remember on weekends going to the rubbish tip. And we would fumble our way through all the rubbish and the junk that other people had thrown away. And my dad has this uncanny ability to see value in that which nobody else thinks has value. I don't know how he does it, but he will grab that piece of broken toaster and this broken toaster and that old microwave and he'll grab this old table chair and he grabs all this old stuff and he takes it back to his shed, which, by the way, he built out of stuff that he found from the tip as well. He even made a shed out of stuff that he found there and he would bring this stuff in and he would work on it. He would spend time and he would... Fix the imperfections. He would, he would pull the best bits out. He would polish. He would clean. He would join. He would add. He would take away. And he would make something of use. Something that was useful. Something that had value. And it, and it all started from his ability to see that, which somebody else thought had no value. And he would take it and turn it into something beautiful. Now that's a wonderful picture of what God does with us. That's a wonderful picture of what discipleship is. Where that, that, where that rubbish that's sitting in the rubbish tip that the world maybe says has no value that maybe the world says has no use. Maybe the world says isn't good enough, is too dirty, is too broken, is too whatever. And God picks that up. He grabs those people and he takes them into his workshop and he makes them into disciples by adding things, by taking things away, by rubbing off the rough edges, by polishing up, by cleaning, by joining together. God does these things. There's a process involved in becoming a disciple. 
We don't just say a sinner's prayer one day. That's the beginning of discipleship. But that's not what Jesus meant when he said, go into all the world and make disciples. Make disciples. Can you imagine doing an apprenticeship? Uh, Say you're doing an electrician's apprenticeship or something, and they call you into the office, and they say, here's the papers. you just got to sign these papers, and you'll, you'll be able to get into your traineeship or your apprenticeship, and you sign the papers, and then straight away they hand you a certificate going, now you're a fully qualified electrician. There you go. Go and start wiring up some homes. Are you going to hire that guy? I'm not. There's more to it than that. And salvation, conversion is like that signing of the paperwork. Yes, we want to uh, join ourselves to the kingdom of God. We want to submit our lives to the lordship and the leadership of Jesus. We want to make a conscious choice to live our life on planet earth here the way that God says it should be lived. And we're going to do that by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us and enables us to live that way. It's not all done by human effort. The Holy Spirit indwells us. Ezekiel 36 uh, talks about how God says, I'll come and I'll place my spirit in your spirit and I'll take out your heart of stone and I'll give you a heart of flesh and I'll cause you to walk in my ways, it says. I'll give you the ability to do those things that once upon a time you thought you couldn't do. You thought you couldn't live this kind of a life. You look at Christianity or you look at, and you go look at the, the life of Jesus and you go, no, that's too high and mighty. It's too, I'm not that good. I can't live, I can't, I'm, I'm, I'm this kind of person. But God says, I'll place my spirit inside of you and I can change you. And that's the process of discipleship. Jesus said we were to go into all the world and we were to make disciples. So it's a process involved in discipleship. It doesn't just happen. It says when the day of Pentecost had fully come, all these disciples were together in one place. They were together, it says in the New King James, in one accord. What that means is they, they were all gathered together with one mind and with one passion. They had one common passion. And that was a zeal for God. They were passionate for God. They were zealous for the things of God. Jesus had touched their life. You know, I think we kind of read the Bible as if it was all laid out for them. And, and in, in, in Matthew, uh, when, when, God, when Jesus called the disciples, we read the rest of the Gospels as if when they were called, they knew exactly what was going to happen. They knew exactly how life was going to unfold. They knew exactly that Jesus was going to do miracles and they knew he was going to open blinded eyes and they knew that, that in the end he was going to get taken away by soldiers and hung on a cross. They knew. We read it as if they had read the same gospel and gone, oh yeah, I know what happens in chapter 2 because I just read that this morning in my devotion. I know that Jesus is going to break bread today and feed thousands. They had no idea what this journey was going to look like. Every day would have taken them by surprise. Every day would have been something different a new discovery in God. They would have been amazed when Jesus fed the 5,000. It's never been done. We have no point of reference for this, but here's this guy we're now following, and this is the kind of stuff that he does. They would have been amazed when he healed lepers. They would have been amazed when the religious leaders challenged him, and everybody else would back down from the religious leaders because they're the religious leaders. You don't mess with those guys. But Jesus would look them in the eye, and in one sentence could get them to shut up and back down and reveal the fact that these guys weren't as connected to God as what they think they are by just stating a few basic, simple facts. They, they could throw the word of God at him and he could throw it right back at them, but he threw it with power. He threw it with conviction. All of this would have been amazing to them. And this was their journey of being made into disciples. 
It's a process. Discipleship is a process. It's not something that just happens. So we've been looking at that over the last couple of weeks, this whole process of discipleship. It's not a, hey, Jesus, come into my life and that's the end of it. We can do that and you will go to heaven on the basis of your faith in the cross. You'll make it into heaven, no dramas. But you can miss out on so much of what God has for you down here if we don't prioritise our spiritual growth, if we don't make right choices and realise that my spiritual world is just as important as my natural. My spiritual life needs to be healthy just as my natural life needs to be healthy and as I need to do things and prioritise in certain ways to make my natural life healthy, so I need to do things and prioritise certain things in order to create a healthy spiritual life. Your life will be and is the sum total of your priorities. And, the, and your priorities are going to be the sum total of your passions. What are you most passionate about? That's what you'll prioritise in life. Um, when I got my job at, at Dan Murphy's, before my job at Dan Murphy's, I worked for BWS, which is another um, liquor um, arm of, of Woolworths. And I remember going in there for the job, and they offered me a casual job. And, and you know, every time you get a job, there's a form you fill out, your availability form. When can you and can't you work? I told them, when I first went in there as a casual, I said, I will not work after 5 o'clock on a Wednesday afternoon. I said, I'll work any other time you want, but I'm not going to work Wednesday afternoon. Um, This was at a time where uh, I was going through a bit of a journey. I'd been an associate pastor of a church for six, seven years, whatever, and had pulled out of that for different reasons, needed a break. Um, I wasn't prioritising church in my world at the time, much to my detriment. I didn't realise at the time until years down the track when I looked back and I realised that was a stupid decision. But I remember going in and saying, I can do any, I'm available any time, but I won't work Wednesday after five. You know why? Because I play touch football. And I'm passionate about my sport. I'm passionate about my touch. And Wednesday night, don't call me, I don't, don't, don't contact me, don't even look at me. Because I'm just going to be looking at a football field and looking at a football and I'm going to be running around chasing a piece of vinyl, burning energy, getting sweaty, you know, exercising that competitive nature that's within me, getting it all out. And then for the next six and a half days, I'll bottle it back up and then Wednesday night, don't even look at me. I'm out there and I'm letting it all out and I'm doing what I need to do because I'm passionate about my touch football. So I prioritised that when I filled out my availability and I said I will not work that day. Why? Because I'm, I'm locking this into my life. This is a non-negotiable in my world. Nothing will take precedence over I am playing touch football. Now, that's a natural priority, and, 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 but you know what? You have natural priorities in your life too. There are things that you do. Some of you go to a particular coffee shop every Saturday morning and you will not budge on that. That's a non-negotiable for you because it's perhaps a time where you and your, your partner get time together with no distractions or, or maybe the kids are at sport. and that's your, There are certain things in your natural world that you do, certain habits that have been formed. You might get out of bed at a certain time and, and eat breakfast. You might sit in a certain chair when you come to church. There are certain things that we do. They become familiar to us. And, and, and when we look at what our week unfolds, when we look at how our week goes, generally, it's the sum total of what I'm most passionate about. Either a passion I've chosen, and, and, and let me say this, work may not be your passion. You may not be passionate about the job that you do, but behind that will be a passion to take care of your family. So it's still being driven by a passion. And so some of us go to jobs that we, we find mind-numbingly boring. Or perhaps jobs that we don't feel stimulated, but we have a passion to provide for our family and so we go and we do what we have to do because we're passionate about looking after our family. So passion plays a large role 
in our life. It plays a large role in our world and how our world looks like and what our life looks like. I'm reading a book at the moment by uh, John Fogarty. Who knows Creedence Clearwater Revival? Yep, they, they just got a book, just released a book called uh, Long Road Home. And it's about uh, John Fogarty personally and his journey and, and uh, into songwriting and, and the legal battles that went on. Uh, amazing man, I had no idea uh, what went on behind the scenes in this man's life. He ended up in a very, very, very dark place because of a whole bunch of things. But I was reading a chapter last night, I'm getting towards the end of the book. By this stage, I think he's in his 50s. And he, he tells a story how he was... He was sitting down one day and he suddenly had this epiphany. He said, when I started making music as a teenager, he said, I had this goal. I had a desire, a passion to be the best guitarist there there, there was. He said, I wanted to be the greatest guitarist in the world. That was his passion. Then as he got into his music career, he was was, uh, a bit of a perfectionist. So he would go into a recording studio and, and the other members of the band couldn't quite play the instruments as well as he wanted them to. They couldn't do what he envisioned it. He said, so he ended up learning all these other instruments and he basically played everything on the, in the studio and he sang all the background vocals as all him. The other guys in the band got to do nothing, which, which he, he talks about the effect of that in the book and the impact that had on the band. But the thing is, at 50 years of age, he had this epiphany. He said, you know what, when I started out, I wanted to be the number one guitarist in the world. That was my passion. Somewhere along the way, it got lost. And I got distracted and caught up in trying to do so many other things and trying to maybe be good at other things, realising he was never going to be the best. He just wanted to be good enough to play that particular note for that song. But he said, I got so distracted along the way that I forgot what my first passion was. And my first passion right at the beginning was, I just want to be the best guitarist in the world. So then he had a change, a bit of an epiphany, and he changed his life in his 50s. He went back into the studio to record, but he got studio musicians in to play the other parts, and he found the right people, and he's made a few albums since then, and his career sort of blossomed and bloomed again. But what was interesting was that he got to this point where he realised he had been so distracted by other things that he lost his first passion. And I think that's a fantastic description of what happens to a lot of us in our spiritual lives. We come to Christ, we have an encounter with God, it's exciting, it's new, all of a sudden I go to church, there are people there who love me, they're actually interested in me, I pray, it feels fantastic because I feel like there's someone up there listening to me, I read my Bible, it's, I'm discovering new things every day, it's wonderful, it's fantastic. But then we can get caught up in so many other things as we go through life, all of a sudden I am now an adult. Now, I'm, now I've got a job, now I'm married, now I've got kids, now I've got a career, now I've got this, now I've got that. And we get all these things that come along in our life, none of them necessarily within themselves bad, but all of a sudden we wake up one day and we realise, when I first started with Jesus, my passion was just to know him. My passion was actually to know God. But somewhere along the journey I've got so distracted with so many other things that I've lost that first initial passion. Remember when, when, when I first got saved, my commitment to reading the Bible, I, I, I would, it, you, you couldn't distract me from it every day. It wasn't because I felt I had to for God to love me. I wanted to because it was a passion. It couldn't keep me away from church. Not because I felt like I had to for God to love me, but because it was a driving passion in my world. I wanted to be there. I never knew what God was going to do. What was he going to say to me? Who was going to have the word of the Lord for me around the morning tea afterwards and not even realise it? When was God going to show up and touch me? You couldn't distract me from that. I wanted to be there. Prayer, 
reading the Bible, these things that I was so passionate about, but somewhere along the line, just like I was reading last night with John, you can get so easily distracted and our spiritual passion begins to be diminished and, and our spiritual life begins to just be something extra, sort of off to the side. If I get time, I'll... I'll but I'll do my best. I'll try to make time. You know, I'm, I'm genuinely in my heart trying to make time. Well, if that's where I'm at in my headspace, I'm trying to make time for this, then maybe it's not as big a priority as what I think it is. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17 and 18 says this, For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. What's the freedom he's talking about? He goes on in the next verse and tells us it's the freedom to actually be conformed into the image of God. We're free to now be changed and transformed into the person that God wants us to be. You know, not everybody's free. I wasn't free before I came to Jesus. I thought I was free because I thought freedom was me having the ability to just do whatever I wanted. That's what we think freedom is. Freedom is the ability to do whatever you want. That's actually a bondage. That leads to bondage. True freedom is having the ability to become everyone or become the person that you are meant to be in the eyes of God. That's real freedom. It's to all of a sudden have the, the insecurities and the brokenness and the, the fears and, and, and all the shackles, the hurts, the disappointments broken off, taken away from my life so that I can actually become the full person that God created me to be. Because when I was born, I was created to be a particular person, to achieve particular things, to do certain things with my life. But along the way, I got disappointments and hurts and bitternesses and unforgivenesses and all these things that cling to me that stop me from being free to be that person. And then God comes along and says, I'll set you free. What does he mean? I will change you. I will help you walk through that stuff. I will we'll deal with that stuff. You will journey through that stuff so that you can get to the place where you actually can become everything I created you to be, which is being conformed into the image of Christ. I'm free to be like that. He has set me free and given me the opportunity. But opportunity doesn't mean it will happen. I still have to prioritise and I still have to do what I can do alongside of God by prioritising my spiritual life and prioritising uh, my spiritual passions. We need to understand that the New Testament letters were written to people who had established certain disciplines. Okay? The, the early church had established certain things in their world. There were certain foundational disciplines that each of these people walked in. As a result of that, all the things we read about in the New Testament, about the power of God, the transformation that he does, the changes, the revelation, all these things are all happening and available on the back of a foundation of spirituality that these people have already committed to and laid down in their life. When the day of Pentecost fully came, the Bible says they were all in one accord. In other words, there's a group of people together that all had one similar common passion. And that was they were passionate for the Father. They were passionate about their relationship with God and they were passionate that others needed to enter into that relationship as well. It was a priority to them. 
If it wasn't a priority to them, they would not have been in the upper room together because Jesus had just been taken away and killed. They were a part of what was considered back then an illegal cult. Christianity was an illegal cult group. If they weren't passionate, there's no way they would have gathered together. They would have scattered like the disciples did when they came and took Jesus. The disciples took off, bang, they ran. That's what you do when you're not committed. But after the cross, something happened. The disciples saw him on the road to, on, on, when he was walking on the road. They saw Jesus. And then Jesus appears on a beach with them, has a breakfast with them, has a chat with them. They see the resurrected Christ. And there was something in seeing the resurrected Jesus that created a passion in their life, a passion that even death couldn't stop. So here's a bunch of people that are passionate about God. They've got certain things in place in their world that enabled them to maintain that passion. Simple things. What I'm going to share with you now is not profound. Okay? It's very, very simple. But I'm going to share it anyway because we need to see this is what the early church did. You ever played that game Chinese Whispers? Anyone ever played that game? With your kids, you know, you say over here, you know, the mouse trap is, is, is painted red and by the time it gets over here, it's, uh, you know, uh, Molly, Molly ate Johnny's homework and, or something weirder than that. And it's like, how did you get to that? Well, what do we do? We go back to the very first person and we go, well, why don't you tell us what was said? Cause, and then we all laugh about how, and then this, oh, but I didn't hear it. Somewhere along the chain, it gets lost. And you know what? Somewhere along the chain of time, Perhaps, as a church, we've lost certain things. So the best place to go to find out what it was like is let's go back to the very beginning of the Chinese Whispers and let's have a look at what the early church prioritised. Let's have a look at what was their passion. What was the foundation upon which everything they did came from? And like I said, it's not, it's not rocket science. It's very, very simple. Understand this too. Discipline is not a dirty word. How many people... You hear the word discipline, we feel like it's a dirty word. You're at school and the teacher says, I'm going to discipline. Yeah, shaking over here. I'm going to discipline you. Discipline for many of us has this negative connotation. But discipline within itself is not necessarily negative. I'll tell you one thing, especially young people. You learn to discipline yourself or somebody else will discipline you. Isn't that how it works? If I can't learn disciplines as a child... If I can't get certain disciplines happening in my life and then I turn 18 and then I go out into the workforce, guess what? Your boss will discipline you. Your employer will discipline you. The law will discipline you. So discipline is not a bad thing. Discipline is, a, is actually a very good thing and we need to learn to discipline ourselves. Discipline is about prioritising what you need to prioritise in order to become the person that you want to be. Start with the end, end result in mind. When I got saved, I knew who I wanted to be. I wanted the rest of the world to know about this God. I didn't necessarily want to preach. I didn't want to stand in front of people. But in my heart was this desire that the rest of the world could experience what I had experienced in God. So to become that person, if I start with the end in sight, what do I need to do to be that person? What disciplines, what things do I need to do now to be that person? You want to be a world-class soccer player, the best rugby league player. You want to be a, a professional musician and guitarist. You want to have the best business, whatever. You get that picture at the end, but then you've got to look back and go, now what disciplines do I need to have in my life now in order to become that person? Because I won't just become that person because I want it. I'll become that person because I make conscious efforts to discipline myself And to prioritise the right things to get me to that place to be that person. So what did the early church do? They did a few things. 
If you, if you discipline yourself with exercise, how many of you know that you'll feel the benefits? Yeah? It sucks doing it. It sucks. Let's be honest. No, but I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to come home from work and put on my running shoes and run. Look, isn't there a food I can take, a superfood that'll just make me fit? You know? <laughs> uh, apparently there's a few out there, but I, I, I haven't found them yet. But if you discipline yourself with exercise, you feel good benefits. Discipline your conversation. How many of you know you'll feel the benefits? Is that right? Who feels yucky when you've been in a gossip session? You sit down with some people and might start out innocent before you know what you're gossiping. You know you're talking about someone behind their back. You know you're saying things that are not edifying. You know your conversation is not right. But you go with the flow anyway. And afterwards, you just feel yucky. But when you're in that environment and you make a conscious choice to not go where you shouldn't go, to not say what you want to say because you know it's inappropriate, and then you walk away, don't you feel good? Because you made the right choice. Because you discipline yourself. It feels good. You feel, you literally feel the benefits of that discipline. When you discipline your sleep, you'll feel the benefits. You go to bed nice and early. You make sure you get your hours. You do that for a week. You make sure that you go to bed at a good time. Don't sit up till one o'clock in the morning and then get up at six. You do that for a week and then you just feel <clears throat> ugly, flat, lethargic, tired. But you discipline your sleep. Make sure you get good rest. Your body feels the benefits of that. Discipline your eating and you'll feel the benefits. Discipline your eating. Eat right foods. Be healthy. And you feel good. Who's ever, who's ever been in a hurry and gone to the Golden Arches instead and stuffed four or five cheeseburgers down? And then within 15 minutes you're going, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. But you'll go and do it again, won't you? Why? Because of the convenience of it. But, but you feel bad. Who's ever gone to work and taken a bowl of rabbit food? Yeah, lettuce and onions and cheese, you know, all the salad stuff. And you eat it. And it might not be the most tasty thing in the world. And you might be looking at it going, geez, I wish I had a pie. You might even be tempted to get your card and take some cash out at work and go next door to the bakery and buy a pie. I'm speaking from experience. And occasionally you may crumble and do that. I'm speaking from experience. And then by the time I finish the pie, I go, oh, I'll have the salad tomorrow. So really I've saved money. Tomorrow I don't have to buy lunch. I just put the salad in the fridge and I can have it tomorrow. Now, of course, the next day I look at the salad and go, oh, lettuce is a bit brown. I better go and buy a pie. So. <laughs> but you feel the benefits. I read this story this week. I thought it was quite funny about a, an 85-year-old couple. They'd been married for about 60 years and they died in a car crash. That wasn't funny. They'd been in good health the last 10 years of their life, mainly due to the interest in health, food and exercise, due to his wife's interest in health, food and exercise. When they reached the pearly gates, and Peter took them to their mansion, which was decked out with a beautiful kitchen, master bath suite, a jacuzzi, they oohed and aahed about everything and, and the old man says to Pete, how much is all this going to cost? And Peter says, it's free, this is heaven. Next they went out the back to survey the championship golf course that, was, that the house backed onto. They got golfing privileges every day. Each week the course changed to mimic one of the greatest courses that was down here on planet Earth. The old man says, what are the green fees? And St Peter says, this is heaven, mate. You play for nothing, it's free. Next they went to the clubhouse and saw the lavish buffet lunch Cuisines of the world laid out. How much is it to eat, he says. Don't you understand yet? This is heaven. It's free, Sir Peter replied with a little bit of exasperation. Well, where are the low fat and low cholesterol tables, the old man asked. Sir Peter lectured, that's the best part. You can eat as much as you like of whatever you like and you never get fat, you never get sick. This is heaven. After hearing that, the old man went into a fit of anger, throwing down his hat, stomping on it, shrieking wildly. Sir Peter and the wife both tried to calm him down, asking what was wrong. 
The old man looked at his wife and said, this is all your fault. If it weren't for your brand muffins, I could have been here ten years ago. <laughs> Eat healthy. I'm saying all that to say this. Discipline is not necessarily a negative thing. Without discipline, you'll never achieve anything you need to in life. The Bible says in Acts 2.1, they were all together in one accord with one passion. We all know what happened from there. The Holy Spirit fell. Thus began the beginning of a miraculous church age. But there are certain disciplines and certain things in place in their life before they got to that point. Number one, they prioritised prayer. They prioritised prayer. If you have a quick look at Acts chapter 1, this is before the Holy Spirit falls. We see these disciplines in place. Acts chapter 1 and verse 14, they all met together continually for prayer. So these guys were getting together and they were praying. Prayer was important to them. Okay? Is prayer important to you? Is prayer something that I'll get to it if I have time? Or is prayer one of your non-negotiables? I'm going to pray. It's important. It's part of the spiritual foundation of my life. It's part of building that platform off which my spiritual world can grow. They prioritised prayer. You know, Jesus prioritised prayer too. Real quickly, Mark chapter 1 and verse 35. Luke will probably beat me with this. Mark chapter 1 verse 35 says this. The next morning, Jesus awoke long before daybreak and went out alone in the wilderness to pray. Luke 5, verse 16. Luke 5, verse 16 says this. I should have my glasses on. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. Prayer was a part of Jesus' life. I wish I could do this with your Bible like you can an iPad. Jesus prayed. It was a part of his discipline. It was a part of his spiritual discipline. It stands to reason that those who followed him, the disciples, would copy and would have the same spiritual disciplines as Jesus. The Bible tells us that these people were meeting together. They were praying. This was happening before Pentecost. This was happening before the Holy Spirit came in power. The disciples prayed. We should get in the habit of starting out our day in prayer. Start your day in prayer. It doesn't have to be hours long. Here's a simple suggested prayer. Dear God, so far today I've done all right. I've not gossiped. I haven't lost my temper. I haven't been grumpy, nasty or selfish, and I'm really glad of that. But in a few minutes, God, I'm going to get out of bed. And from then on, I'm probably going to need a lot of help. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Start your day with communication with God. Pray. It doesn't have to be for hours. You might, you might do it. You might start by just turning off the radio on the way to work in the car. Maybe you're in the habit of listening to you. Start by turning it off and praying. Talk to God. Maybe for some of you, you might want to get out of bed an extra 10 minutes early. Just get out of bed 10 minutes earlier. It's 10 minutes. It's not, not a big price to pay for laying a spiritual foundation for your life. See, it all comes back to what's important. Is our spiritual development important to us? Do we prioritise it or do we not? The second thing that the early church prioritised was they prioritised the Word of God. They prioritised the Bible. In Acts chapter 1, once again, before Pentecost, Acts 1 verse 16 to 20. Brothers, this is Peter talking, Brothers, it was necessary for the Scripture to be fulfilled concerning Judas, who guided the temple police to arrest Jesus. This was predicted long ago by the Holy Spirit speaking through David. How did he know this? 
Well, because he knew the Bible. He's going back to saying in the Old Testament, keep in mind they didn't have a New Testament then. Their Bible was the Old Testament. And he's going, you know what? I know enough about the Bible. I'm in it enough to know what Judas has done here. I can see now that this is what the Bible talked about. He goes on. They talk about what Judas did with the money. In verse 20, Peter continued, this was predicted in the book of Psalms where it says, let his home become desolate. No. These guys knew the Bible. They prioritized what was the word of God. It's part of your spiritual foundation. Prioritize prayer and prioritize time in the word of God. This book, it's, 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 it's not like other books. It's not like reading John Fogarty's biography. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. It says that the word of God is living. There's something alive about this. It's not like reading a woman's day. It's not, like, it's not even like you know, reading a, 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 the latest Bible book on prayer or the latest Bible book on reading the Bible. I'm going to buy a book about reading the Bible. And the book's going to tell me I should read my Bible. 250 pages later, it's just saying, read your Bible. <laughs> it was a good read. I'm going to get a book about prayer. Let me tell you, the bottom line of the book about prayer, it's going to say pray. So save you 250 uh, words of reading and just develop a prayer life. Start to pray. Start to communicate with your Heavenly Father. They prioritised prayer. They prioritised the Bible. The third thing they prioritised was gathering together. Acts 1.14, they all met together continually for prayer. This wasn't a one-off thing. These guys had already established the, the getting together with other believers as an important part of their life. In the book of Acts, it talks about, about Peter and John. It talks about Paul and these guys. Now, they still went along to the temple. They still went along to the worship service of the day. They still prioritised it. They went along to it. Why? Because it's part of the spiritual foundation of their world. It's interesting to me that by the time the Spirit of God fell in power upon them, it fell upon a group of people who had already established these priorities. I wonder, I just wonder in my thinking brain that sometimes goes all over the shop, but I wonder sometimes, are we missing the power of the Holy Spirit? Are we missing the signs, the wonders and the miracles? Are we missing what God wants to do because we're not giving him a solid foundation in our life upon which he can springboard off and do what he wants? Is prayer something I do if I get the time? Is reading my Bible something I do if I get the time? Is attending church something I do if I get the time? And please hear my heart. This has got nothing to do with earning favour with God. Nothing to do with God's love. God will love you whether you choose to pray or not. He can't love you any more because you pray and he won't love you any less because you don't. This has nothing to do with God's love for you, God's acceptance of you. This has to do with you making a decision that I want my spiritual life to be strong. I want it to be influential in the way that I live my life here on planet Earth. I want the spiritual side of life to have impact and meaning and not just be something that's sort of over here. It's to be as, as real to you as the natural side of life. It's to be as important to you as the natural side of life. Our spirit is not separate from our natural world. We are bundled up all together. It's one package deal. But so often the spiritual side of life is this mystical thing over here. But the early church had this ability to prioritise all these things. They gathered together. Psalm 92 verse 12 and 15 says this, But the godly will flourish like the palm trees and grow strong like the cedars of Lebanon, for they are transplanted to the Lord's own house. They flourish in the courts of our God. Even in old age, they'll still produce fruit. How good is that? 
all you older people. I can say older because if you're 45 and up, you're older. Even in old age, you can still produce fruit. Your life's not over. There are still things God wants you to do. There are still things that you can achieve in God. There are still things that God wants to do through you. But we need to build that spiritual platform in our life. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Let us think of ways to motivate one another and acts of love and good work. Let us not neglect meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day is returning. This is going back a couple of thousand years ago when they wrote this, and back then they could already see the signs of people wanting to pull away from fellowship. Go, no, no, I'll have got a relationship with God, but I don't need to meet with the church. I'll just go over here and have it by myself. Anyone ever had a campfire? You ever seen a, a, a coal? Might blow up a stick or something and it blows over here and it lands by itself and it might have been white hot while it was sitting here in the fire with the rest of the flames but it goes over here and within 10 seconds it's dead it smolders and it dies that's what it's like when we isolate ourselves. it's what it's like when we don't prioritize fellowship with other believers when we don't prioritize the gathering together of the saints you can't have a vibrant spiritual life by yourself and i don't care who says they can my my own personal experience is it doesn't work i tried it and it didn't work at the time, I thought it was working. In hindsight, I look back and go, what was I thinking? Who was I back there? Saying I was passionate about God. And I was, no, I wasn't. Because there's was nothing around me to help that flame going. There's nothing around me to help me maintain that passion. When you hear about people that have walked away from God, usually, usually if you chat with them about it and talk about how it started, it'll usually start the same for most people. Well, I stopped going to church. I thought, I won't go to church, but I'll still pray and read my Bible. But I stopped going to church. That's just step one. Then before you know it, I'm not reading anymore, not praying anymore. Because we get ourselves out of fellowship. The early church gathered together under fear of death. We've got the freedom to do it, and we don't want to do it. We don't want to prioritise it, and we live in a country where we're able to. Let me give you an interesting set of facts Number one, automobiles are responsible for 20% of all fatal accidents. Did you know that? Automobiles are responsible for 20% of all fatal accidents, so avoid riding in cars. 17%, 17% of all accidents occur in the home. So if you want to be safe, don't stay home. 14% of accidents occur to pedestrians. So if you want to stay safe, please don't walk on footpaths and streets. Running out of things to do. 16% of accidents occur while travelling on air, rail or water, so avoid travelling on planes, trains and watercraft for your own safety, please. Of the remaining 33%, 32% of all deaths occur while in hospital. So whatever you do, do not go to hospital. However, did you know, only 0.001% of deaths occur in a worship service and they're usually related to a previous condition. So logically... That tells us that the safest place in the world for you to be is where? In church. It's a no-brainer. It's the safest place for you to be at any time. So whatever you do, please don't avoid fellowship and getting together. Let me finish with this. Prayer, the word of God and fellowship. These were the spiritual priorities of the early church. These were things that were non-negotiables to them. I know they were non-negotiables because they could have been killed for it. We've got to get what they did within the context of their time and their culture. They could have been killed 
for meeting together in the name of Jesus. But they did it. Why? Because it meant something to them. They were passionate about it. Why did they pray to Jesus? Well, because they were passionate about their relationship with God through the Father, with, with, with God through Jesus. They were passionate about it and they couldn't be shut up. You couldn't stop them praying. Even in prison, they would pray and they would worship. Even with shackles on them and chains under fear of death, you couldn't stop them praying. Why? Because it was a part of their spiritual DNA. It was foundational to their growth and they knew it. You couldn't stop them getting into the word of God. Even in a situation like Judas, where this guy turns tail and runs and backstabs them and so on, they're still able to go to the word of God and make sense of it all. They're still able to look at the Bible and make sense of a difficult, ugly situation like that and go, well, hang on, let's go to the word of God here. This, this helps us make sense of it all. They were committed to it. They were committed to those disciplines. Why? Because their spiritual life was important to them. If you are a disciple of Jesus, your spiritual life needs to be important to you. Amen? We need to make a choice that we want to just be converts. We're happy to just be converts going to heaven or we want to be disciples. And that's a private, personal choice. Because when we walk away from church on a Sunday, no one's with you for the next six days of the week. You don't have to pray. That's between you and God. You don't have to open up the word of God and feed your, your, your spirit. That's between you and God. No one's going to be checking on you. No one's going to be, be ringing you up. You know? Did you do it? If you want to, get someone hold you accountable. That's a wonderful thing. Get someone to... Ask me, how am I travelling with, with, you know? I'd encourage you to do that, actually. Accountability is a wonderful thing in life. My wife used to comment all the time when she'd go walking. It was so much easier to get out of bed and do it when she knew somebody else was doing it with her because there was accountability. When you're doing it by yourself, sometimes the motivation wasn't as high. But the challenge for us is that if we want to be used by God, if we want to see people come to Christ, if we want to see healings, and miracles. If we want to see the authority that heaven gives us over demonic realm and over demonic spirits, if we want to, to see the things that we read about in the Bible, if we want to be the church the way that God wants us to be the church, we need to lay that platform in our own personal worlds. We need to make the decision. Is your spiritual life important enough to make the necessary changes or is it not? Will you prioritize your spiritual growth or will you get to it if you have time? The choice is ours. Father, I want to thank you, Lord, for the example that you give us in Scripture, Lord, that, that, that Jesus, our ultimate example, that, Father, he, he gathered people together. He started the church. He's so passionate about the church that he gave the blueprint of people coming to you as converts, but then building on that, becoming disciples and doing it together in the context of a group of people. Jesus, we have your example that you prayed regularly. It was a part of your life. It was a part of your world. As busy as what you were, as under pressure as much as what you were, you still prioritised it. The word of God, Father, we see that the Bible teaches the spirit of God moved upon men and they penned the word of God. It wasn't just a natural book, a history book, but it was, they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Why would you do that if you didn't want us to prioritise this in our world? Why would we even have this book? Why would those men have gone through what they went through to get this to us? Why in history has there been such a battle to keep a hold of the Bible when nations have risen up and wanted to burn this book, get a hold of every Bible in their nation and burn it? Why this book, God? Well, Father, we know because it's not just a story. 
It's living, it's active, and it's powerful. And, and, and Lord, I pray for each of us, God, that you would, Holy Spirit, you would place in our heart the importance of these things, these disciplines. Show us. Give us a passion for prayer. Give us a passion for your word. And give us a passion for fellowship, Lord. Not just to get, get, get. Not just to be consumers, but to be contributors to what you want to do in the world through us, your church. Father, we thank you, Lord. I pray uh, for a great week for each of us here, God. We, uh, Father, continue to pray for Tim and Tiff, for your healing hand to be upon Tim and your love to be upon the family, Lord. And Father, each of us, as we go, I pray this week, Father, you would bless us, you would love us, you would be with us, and that you would give us opportunities, Father, to share that blessing and that love with people that don't know you yet. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless. Grab some morning tea. Have a chat with someone. Thank you.